welcome to the Questionably Qualified podcast covering Game of Thrones. The season premiere of season seven came out just last weekend. Obviously, we watched the night of, and now we have our thoughts to share. So, as always, I'm joined by Mr. Ryan Maddock. Maddock, how are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty well tonight. How are you doing, John? Can't complain. Can't complain. Uh, and I'm very excited to discuss Game of Thrones with you. It was it was a fun episode to watch. It's obviously just good to have Thrones back in general, and I think that we have plenty to talk about from the first episode. I would generally agree with that. It was a uh, it was a pretty eventful episode. It was indeed, uh, and it started out with some some extra vengeance to add on to the vengeance that sort of ended last season. So that was pretty fantastic. As Arya Stark, assuming the guise of Lord Frey, who she had you know slit the throat of at the end of last season, used that that guise to then murder basically every Frey of significance. Uh, yeah, that was uh, generally awesome. Um, it was long overdue justice porn. I think that the kind of big takeaway there is, uh, first of all, the house race dead, which is really cool. But the other thing is uh, the theory that I had discussed before, uh, where once winter comes, you know, the enemies of the North and the people that aren't prepared are generally screwed. I felt that since that was the literal first thing we saw on screen since, like, winter happened, or <laughs> the only, well, I guess last season ended with Arya killing Walder Frey, but that's all the same thing. The only things, like the first two things we saw on screen since winter arrived is just like the enemies of the Starks dying. So I think that people should be prepared for some fun justice porn. Um, They'll also be sadness. They'll also be sadness because of course there will be. I'd say you're pretty right, especially given that Arya essentially summed it up by saying, tell them winter came for House Frey. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I I was sitting next to my wife on the couch and I was just, just like, I love being right. One question for you, and I don't think we actually have any extra information as book readers on this one, so it's more of just sort of a, a generally getting your take on this this question, but Arya's montage in the show was mostly her hitting a girl with a stick and being hit by that girl with a stick. Yes. She now is capable of assuming a disguise perfectly and, you know, mimicking the voice, mimicking the posture... She has everything down, which suggests that there's obviously, which we we, we sort of knew inherently that there's more to the faceless men's ability than simply putting another dude's face on. So what extent do you think that goes to? I mean, from the books, we we, we do have a little hints. You know, we know Jake and Hakkar was confident. I guess we know this from the show, too. He was confident enough to just kill any three people in a well-guarded castle. He just knew that he could. In the books, the Faceless Men probably assassinated Euron Greyjoy. Or not Euron, uh, Balin Greyjoy. Um, Euron hired them to do it, so the show just kind of wrapped it up. But still, they killed a king in his own castle. Um, So they presumptively have some really high-level skills. Um, For show watchers that are a little confused about the end of that montage, the fact that she learned all of those things from hitting someone with a stick. I have to remind myself that originally the way George R. R. Martin meant to write the series was in three books. And um, books one, two, and three were supposed to be the first two books. And then there was a five-year gap that he originally planned to input at the end of Storm of Swords before the book that's about to come out. So, like, if it feels like people aged a lot over the last two or three seasons or developed a bunch of skills... It's because, like, in the original story arc, that was supposed to be five years, but he's, like, so OCD that he couldn't figure out how to do that. Yeah, and essentially now they've they've just sort of whisked them into that, that stance. 
Yeah, so I, you know, I think the way he originally planned it was like it was going to be opaque, and Arya had like five years of faceless man, man training, and all of a sudden she's just like a murderous assassin. Yes, that might have made a bit more sense. I, I kind of wish there had been even five minutes of Jacques explaining that it's not actually just peeling a face off and putting it on your own face. There's a little more to it than that. But, yeah. uh, you know, too late for that now. So we can just assume that essentially if Arya finds and kills someone, she will be able to perfectly mimic that person to whatever ends she sort of pursues. Yeah, because it's not just a face. Like, that was Walter Frey. Like, there's body, too. So, yeah, yes. there, there's more there. And I think that just because of the way the show had to do it, because they couldn't just have Arya disappear for two seasons. It, um, right. <laughs> It, yeah, it, apparently if you get hit with a stick enough, you can just transform into a different person. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to go volunteer for that training right away, <laughs> but it does seem like it's a little easier than I anticipated. The last thing I want to touch on before we, we head on to the next location is, when did you know for sure what was going down in that scene? Oh, this upsets me because uh, Sarah, my wife, called it so much earlier than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean... I. I, she figured it out before me, so she called it, so I can't actually answer that question. Um, Fair enough. She called it, like, really early in the scene, like, as soon as uh, they were pouring the wine. Uh, yeah. I think that I, I think I would have got there not too long after. I don't think it would have taken me till they were spitting blood out of their mouth. Um, right. I had, a, I had a fun roller coaster because I started out, as soon as I saw Lord Frey, I thought, oh, it's Arya. And then as he was talking... I started thinking, oh, maybe it's a flashback. You know, it started last season with a flashback. Maybe they're just doing another little flashback to give us some update on another character we haven't seen. And then, you know, right around when his words started getting a little bit edgier, it was, yeah. oh, yeah. That's was very, what's going on. It was very apparent. Yes, Sarah yes. called it right at the very beginning. Nicely done, Sarah. I was skeptical, but then it was when he started talking about how they, like, murdered people at the Red Wedding, I was like, oh, yeah, yep. these, these bros are all going to die. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is coming. It was yep. awesome. It was. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead and move on to the next location. Uh, just beyond the wall, we see, through Bran's vision, a very large army of the undead led by the White Walkers. It is uh, considerably more formidable than what we've seen in the past, and it also includes giants. I, I have to say... I don't think we'll ever get an answer to this as to like what the White Walkers have been doing for the last thousand years, but based <laughs> on the size of that army, it was not hibernating. It was just like amassing zombies. Sure doesn't seem like it. Yeah, they just appeared to be amassing zombies, because that was like tens of thousands of fifties of thousands of zombies. Yes. And there's not that many people north of the wall. It would take a while to generate that many zombies. Yes, very true. Uh, one of the One of the many advantages of an army that's undead. Yeah, that's true. So the one question I have for you is, is there any significance to the Giants beyond it's really going to suck to fight undead Giants in terms of do you think that gives them a better chance to get past the wall without the use of magic? I mean, the wall is... I I don't think that the Giants... I, I don't see that. You know, I've seen the... Because at this point, the Night's Watch should be freezing the tunnels, right? Yeah, as I'm... Hopefully they're freezing the tunnels. John was saying that. And so hopefully the Night Watch frees the tunnels because there was the scene where a giant almost lifted up the gate and right. they got killed. But you'd think that that wouldn't happen. Okay, that's 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 where I came down. My first thought was, oh, maybe this changes their ability to access it. But then, really, unless the Night's Watch is wildly incompetent, they there shouldn't be any access through those tunnels at all by the time that the yeah. army arrives. George 
there has to be something else. I, I wouldn't put it past the showrunners to do that to expedite the plot if it was a lesser point than how the wall fell. Um, but it's, since it's how the wall fell, and I just like don't think that George's OCD would allow that to happen. So I think there's going to be something else there. I, I mean, I think that the main thing is that like they have to fight freaking giants. Like we saw what one one did in the in one battle. Like there's going to be like fifty, a hundred giant, like zombie giants probably. Yes, still no one giving them weapons though. It's really confusing, man. Just give them <laughs> a big ass axe. Like, come on, <laughs> or a club. Right, give them a tree. Just here, yeah. use this tree. Yeah. That's what yeah. the giants in Zelda use. It's really effective. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> okay, so the at the wall, Bran comes out of his vision. Bran and Mira are at the wall, which is very exciting for people who didn't want to watch them, you know, drink some more rabbits. And book I do readers, book readers do get prepared for three chapters of them being cold and walking. Because uh, <laughs> it's gonna happen. That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> Uh, so they, they arrived well ahead of the schedule that I sort of had in mind. Do you think it means a a sooner-than-anticipated reunion with John and or Sansa? Well, we're going we're gonna to get into this, but I think John heads to Dragonstone really quickly. I could see um, I could see a reunion with Sansa. The, I, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen with Bran. I do think he's... I, I do think he'll end up, you know, back kind of in Winterfell and, like, the head of the North, and presumptively one of them will be there. The thing I'll say is... You know, you, there had been this theory kicked around, and you had, I think you had subscribed to it at the end of last season, that of all the possible solutions, the best, you know, one of the better examples for how the wall will fall is Brand's branded arm. And I, th- yes. th- I think that we can, I think that falls to a much less likely outcome now, because the, it would just be all really anticlimactic at this point. I agree. I agree. Especially, I mean, Brand crossed the wall. There wasn't any visible impact. Yeah. So... It would have to be a purely invisible impact, and now the white the White Walkers can just sort of like waltz in, like yo. Yeah, and the White Walkers knew, seemed to know as soon as they could breach Blood Raven's cave, so they would know immediately that they could breach the wall, and the wall is not falling in the next two episodes. Right, and it is still a formidable physical obstacle. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I have no idea how it's going to fall, but I think that we can discount that theory. It might just be general evil magic might end up being the answer. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm okay with that. The lost explanation to all uh, questions. It was magic. Yeah. get over it. Yeah, I don't want to mess with the I don't want to mess with the white with an undead army. So who knows? Um, okay, so in Winterfell, uh, where you know maybe Bran goes after this and sits in as the new king in the north and creates a very awkward situation when John returns. If he oh, leaves, oh yeah, that is all weird. Could be, could be. And there was another awkward situation in Winterfell. As John and Sansa had a little uh, a little squabble in front of in front of their lords, and it was it was it was a tricky question that they were dealing with, which is what to do with the Umbers and the Karstarks. The Karstarks, of course, went over to the Boltons, you know, motivated by the beheading of the current Lord Karstark uh, when he betrayed Rob, and the Umbers, probably even the more egregious offense. Just going over, giving Rickon to the Boltons, cutting off Shaggy Dog's head, which I am not ready for, ready to forgive. No. And both fought throughout the Battle of Winterfell against John. So, John was technically right here, I think. And you definitely don't punish a kid for his father's crime, and they have been bannermen, and the North needs to stay united. That being said, I felt like there was a more middle ground where, like, you make the son 
you know, you make him a ward of someone yourself, and you make him a squire and a knight in your army, and, you know, the lady becomes, you know, she, whatever the female equivalent of um, a ward is. I don't know if they really do that. Join Sansa's clique or what's something. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are other outcomes, because there is something to be said for ruling, or for rewarding loyalty, but to John's point, it would be a messy transition to expect a bunch of people that were ruled by the Umbers, um, for example, and like the Manderleys who kind of got off all Scott clean in this whole thing, apparently. Sure. Um, it, it would just be awkward for these houses to flip over, you know, with all of their knights and all of their soldiers. So I, I get where John's coming from, but he is close to making some Ned-like decisions, which scares me. Yes, I did like Sansa warning him against... I mean, Sansa voicing the same sort of thing that many of our friends have voiced over the years, which is you can't be as stupid as Rob and dad were. Yeah. Like you just can't do that. I don't, I mean, I don't think this is anywhere near as stupid as no. what, um, I mean what Rob did. I mean, Ned was just stupid in that he thought that like the world was a nice place. Generally he thought there was some more humanity out there. Rob already knew the world sucked. And what he did is just, wow. I agree. Especially leaving gray wind outside just unforgivable oh yeah that part and ignoring the barking god yep that's that was even worse than like breaking off a uh betrothal to your like second most important uh liege lord it's incredible i i i, I am interested to see what's going to happen in the power play i think that i think this could end up being a false plot line though i think it is too i was going to ask you what you thought of the triangle and it's not like sansa is any less icy towards Littlefinger right now uh she is not not having it from him. Uh had my favorite line of the week uh saying that no need to seize the last word. I'll assume it was something clever. That was a great line. Um It was pretty fantastic. I will remind the listeners that the reason Ned is dead is because Littlefinger basically set up pieces so that Ned would get killed to start a rebellion. Right. And I don't see him getting through this season or getting through the show without Sansa killing the hell out of him for that. And I'm going to circle back to that in a little bit when we reach the Citadel, because I have an interesting idea that I want to run by you. Okay. Okay, the other things that happened in Winterfell while we were there, Lord Glover, you know, just... He's got to be a little more careful with his mouth around young Lady Lady Mormon, unless he just really enjoys being shamed in front of everyone. I, uh, you know... For a while, I thought I didn't really want to have a daughter. Not because I don't like women, <laughs> but because I know guys. But watching Lady Mormon, I was like, I'm good. Like, yep. I, can have, I can have a girl. That's fine. <laughs> yep. Just make her watch Lady Mormon reruns and be like, this is who you must be. It's going to be pretty amazing. <laughs> I feel like pretty soon the, the you know, sort of meetings in Winterfell are going to be all the, all the men in the room just, like, looking at each other awkwardly like kids in a class. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to be the first one to... To say an answer. <laughs> yeah, it, it could just turn into uh, or uh, John and Lady Mormont talking, and everyone's just like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, cool, cool. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, okay, uh, he also sends Tormund off to Eastwatch by the Sea, which is tragic in one way for sure, potentially tragic in another. Uh, it's so, it sort of sounds like that's where the, the White Walker army is headed, which makes me very concerned for Tormund in the future. And more importantly, it rips him away from his, the love of his life, Brienne. I can't believe that the showrunners aren't going to let us have that. They only gave us like 10 seconds. 
they have to let us have Brandon Tormund, at least having like one night, right? Like they I just, agree. They have to give that to us. I mean, it was amazing. He, he watches Pod get punched in the gut, fall to the ground. <laughs> You're a lucky man. I, I want it, like, they have to give it to us. Um, but, I mean, if you were going to lead an undead army somewhere, the end of the wall would be the place you'd do it. It would be. And there's always a chance that with winter coming, the sea starts to freeze a little bit. We also know that zombies can swim from... Uh, yes. I can't remember how the book did it, but in Hard Home they can. In the, yep. Or how the show did it, but in, in Hard Home in the book, the zombies are coming out of the water. Yep. Yeah, so that's pretty unsettling. And what, who are we kidding? White Walkers can probably freeze the ocean. They have whatever powers they seem to need at any moment. Then they bring a lot of cold with them wherever they go. That's very yeah. true. I did want to touch briefly on the fact that I thought that Littlefinger's I want you to be I want you to be safe and happy and then but are you happy? Reminded me a lot of the the sort of trope of you should smile more. Yeah, that it, it did feel like that and um I hate Littlefinger. Me too. Um, so much. I mean, I like him. It, it was the you should the you should smile more. It also had like the nice guy feel in yes. like a weird way. Big time. Like I if you just do what I say, you'll be happy and I'll treat you well. It's mm-hmm. like, shut the fuck. It's like, just shut up, dude. Super creep. Yeah. Also, he wants to, like, sleep with... Sans in the books, what, 15? Yeah. He wants to sleep with a 15-year-old, even though she was, like, 13 when this whole thing started, because it looks like... Because she looks like her mother did when she was 13. Just so, like, everyone remembers where Littlefinger's endgame is here. Yeah. Um, it's the crown, and he wants to bang someone that looks like his 13-year-old crush. Yeah. Pretty terrible. So let's go ahead and move on to King's Landing. There is a nice, a nice, very pretty new map of Westeros being painted, which I enjoy quite a bit. It's getting their Sistine Chapel on. Yeah, it's a little bit mimicking the painted table, I feel, uh, in a way. Yeah. But, you know, Cersei's never been great at coming up with her own ideas. I think the showrunners were trying... I think they're trying to build up the queen on queen a yes. little bit more than is justified because Cersei doesn't have any troops and Danny has three freaking She dragons. certainly shouldn't. So <laughs> Jamie, in the meantime, is he's just searching desperately for an ounce of humanity in his sister, right? Yeah, he didn't find it. Yeah, came up empty there. Tried to play the Tommen Her- card, no dice. <laughs> and Cersei's answer was like, yeah, it sucks that he's dead. However, because he's dead, let's not care. Right. <laughs> That was literally what she said. She's like, we're flesh and blood, and he's dead. And it's like, wow, man. Probably not what you're hoping to hear. That is dark. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, I also thought it was interesting. Somebody somebody pointed out to me on Sunday after the episode that Jamie just gave the painter that sort of sup nod, and the painter is like, all right, I'll, I'll leave the room. It, it's always funny to see that happen on television shows and then realize that guy probably shouldn't have any idea to, to understand what that gesture means, right? Yeah. Like, is that a, oh, nice painting? Or is that a <laughs> get out of here? Or is it like you know? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, I enjoy that. I, I will. The one main takeaway from that scene for me is it didn't increase the odds that I think that Jamie kills uh, Cersei because my odds for that are high, mm-hmm. like well over fifty percent. Um, but it didn't decrease them. And like any episode that those odds don't decrease is like yes, I think just like one step farther. I think you're that. correct. And yeah. if you want to get super into the weeds, uh, I was listening to the Ringers Game of Thrones podcast, which is fantastic, binge mode. And they point they pointed out from with the help of someone online that where Jamie is standing on the map is roughly aligned with the fingers, and where Cersei is standing on the map is roughly aligned with the neck. 
that uh that is symbolism yeah it might be a few layers too deep but then again we know that the show does like to sort of leave those easter eggs lying around so yeah that is uh i think they i, I think that you know that actually might up the percentile by like two points yes yeah, it could it might go from like 60 to 62 it could so jamie reminds cersei that she is not the queen of the seven kingdoms at all at best three i think that's a stretch <laughs> I don't think she's the. I think she's the queen of one. Yeah, I don't think she's got much besides King's Landing and the Crown's land, Crown Lands right now. I guess you could, and that's not even one of the seven. So I guess you're counting Land uh, the Westerlands, right? And and Castle yeah. Rock. Okay, yeah, yeah, two. Sorry. And that's it. I mean, <laughs> and like the Crown Lands with like what's going on in the Riverlands, which are pretty close. I wouldn't feel that comfortable no. in the Crown Lands, to be entirely honest. No, and I'm pretty sure it's not even one of the original seven kingdoms. So yeah, it's it's no, it's, it is. it's a it big is. stretch. So so they go from there to see a nice fleet of ships sailing in brand spanking new ships we presume built with the lumber that was lying around the iron islands for just such a cause it is so you know what the showrunners and we went over this they did this because a bunch of stuff happened on the iron islands that in retrospect didn't really matter based on what we know now right but they had to get at least two fleets in play and one of them had to be captained by Euron, and the other had to get to Danny. Yep. And they apparently wanted to keep Theon and Yara around because fans liked her. Th- they could have done this better. He had like a thousand ships. Right. Like he actually did make good on the, pro- the promise. That isn't how that works. It just <laughs> is not how that works. Like post-industrial age, we- the United States of America with unlimited resources could maybe do that in two years. Right. Um. <laughs> Anyway, whatever they they had to get two fleets in the in play. They got two fleets. By in God, play. they did. So Euron shows up, uh, looking sort of like I don't know a hungover rock star, maybe. Yeah, I think that the show, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe some women will tell me that I'm not right about this. I think he's like supposed to be really attractive and like charming in the show, but he kind of just looks like your uncle that like drinks too much at <laughs> 42, which you're like not that cool anymore, dude. I feel like they're definitely positioning him him as the roguish, you know, romantic interest for for general viewers. But no, right? Like maybe I'm wrong. You know, any women that are listening to this podcast. Yeah, please. Oh. I mean, if we're wrong, go ahead and correct <laughs> yeah. us. Let me know. But the dude just does not look that attractive. Yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, so Cersei agrees with us, it seems, because she goes ahead and, and turns him down uh, with his offer of marriage. To which he responds by promising a priceless gift. He means Tyrion, obviously. That's what I thought as well. It seems like that would be very difficult because he would have to not only infiltrate Dragonstone, but manage to steal the hand of the queen and transport him back to King's Landing. Yeah, there's dragons there. I mean, this is essentially like Ramsay Bolton sneaking into an army's camp and lighting all their tents on fire in the middle of the night. So side theory so highly possible (laughs) that's true yes go ahead the other thing and i put this at like five percent but it's the only other thing i can think of off the top of my head um is the show alludes to like a horn that can call a kraken yes that was on like an i like one of the island castles that i don't think was the iron islands i think it might have i can't remember whose lands it was in Mm -hmm. but you know it's one of the island nations basically it's possible that it's that but, like, it feels like a weird stretch to draw a Kraken in at this point. So I, I, I really can't think of anything other than Tyrion. But, like, I, I just don't see an outcome that makes any sense that doesn't end in Euron's fleet getting burned to the ground. 
Yes, and I'll I'll touch on that later too because I think that by all rights should happen probably should have happened already. But in terms of alternative theories, I've heard. Oh yeah, that does make sense because of where Dragonstone is. Yeah, um. <laughs> I've heard of um, Alaria Sand, which would be a gift that Cersei would appreciate, and I that don't is true. Exactly know where she is. It oh my god, but that would mean Dorne isn't gone. Yeah, that would be that would be sad. Let's not let's hope that's not the case. Maybe 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 Alaria Sand will just show up and. Search will just kill her, but um, yeah, that could be. Yeah, I've heard uh, Dragonbinder, which is another horn. You know, a lot of horn oh, talk yeah. going on here. There's Dragonbind, which uh, for the people that don't read the books, uh, does what it set does what the name indicates, <laughs> binds dragons to the uh, like master of the user. Right. Still not sure how you're supposed to blow it without dying, given that in the books, Euron has his homeboy do it and ends up dead with charred lungs, but. Presumably the right person, I guess, could do it without dying. Yeah, yeah. I heard Bright Roar as a possibility, the ancestral sword of uh, the ancestral Valyrian steel sword of House Lannister, which was lost uh, in the Doom, after the Doom, but in the Valyrian ruins. And Euron, of course, has sailed all over the place, so there's some talk that's possible. That seems super unlikely because he would have just presented it to her. Agreed. He should already have it in that case. Yeah, that's that's not a good argument. Like, hold up, I left it on my ship though. Yeah. <laughs> by the by the time the next episode starts, John will be in Dragonstone and Euron will have just walked to and from his ship. <laughs> um so after this, I, I mean I think you're right. I think his goal is Tyrion. Yeah, he doesn't succeed though. We'll see what happens. Um so we got some good Jamie Snark about the Greyjoy rebellion, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Yep. Uh pointing out that the the Greyjoys lost in Pretty pretty monumental fashion when they attempted this last time. Epic failure. And that brings up a question that I have for you about the... It's one of my favorite questions in sports, in pop culture, in movies, and everything. A lot of people and groups get a reputation, but then we watch them lose repeatedly. So one of my favorite examples is there's a montage of Worf in Star Trek getting beaten up in every encounter he has. Because the only way you can show that someone is tough is by having them beat up a presumably tough person. And so he just constantly gets his ass handed to him. That's funny. Are we sure that the Ironborn are actually a scary naval fleet? So here's what I think on that one, actually. Traditional naval fleet? Not really. Like, I I don't think that they're a scary, open, you know, 100 ship on 100 ship mm-hmm. type traditional naval battle that we think of. Are they scary reavers? Yeah, that's what I. Th- that's what I think. That's where I think the reputation comes from. That if you're, you know, if you're in the north and you're on like a near shore, you could be farming your land, and all of a sudden there's thirty guys in leather armor and axes bearing down on you, and like stealing all of your food, taking your women, maybe killing your sons or killing you, killing your father, whatever. That's scary, but that's not waging war. That's reaving. The Iron Fleet has a has a reputation, and the last action we saw them in was getting crushed by Stannis Baratheon in the Greyjoy Rebellion. Yeah, and you'd think if they had a really good fleet, it would have been hard to land on the island. Right. I mean, you would you would think so. There's that. Yes. Yeah. So no, th- I I think that they're not not great in regular naval naval combat. Like there is nothing in the books that indicates that they are good in open naval combat. Is there? No, I can't think of anything, and it would also seem to follow from their. And let's say charitably loose leadership structure that they wouldn't be great at coordinated battles. No, well, I mean, unless there's uh, consensus yelling, then they'll presumptively be better. <laughs> it's true. Popular vote for uh, for which actions to take by consensus yelling. 
Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and move out of King's Landing. If we move out just a short way, we'd be at Dragonstone. But we'll go ahead and skip that for the moment because I have many complaints about the inaction at the moment. So let's go down to the Citadel, uh, where we had an excellent gross-out montage, I felt. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was fun. And Sam, you know, pretty quickly manages to talk one of his mentors, one of the maesters, into at least feigned interest in the White Walker threat. I mean, the ma- the maester told him basically to go fuck himself, though. I agree. At the same time, I think he might have been like, you know, dude, if you just steal some keys, it's not you're just reading books. I, there, there could have been a little bit of that. I thought that the whole, you know, earth, the Earth hasn't ended yet was like a bad speech because Sam was kind of like, you don't get it. Right. I'm glad that someone finally put all the dragon glass at Dragonstone and the White Walkers together. Yes. It's something that does not surprise book readers at all, but it's good. It's good to see it happen in. In episode one of the first season. Or yeah, of- so in case someone is, is listening to this and you know doesn't watch the show somehow or something like that, there is a giant catch of Dragonglass underneath uh, Dragonstone, which yeah. you know, seems kind of logical. Stan has talked about it previously. I don't understand why, Stan, why Stan, uh, Sam says, I didn't believe him. In the books, I don't think that that... I think they just had to get... I think Sam has to be in the Citadel for some other reason. And Sam's going to be the one in the books to tell John. And they just did it in the show. And they... Yeah. Someone pointed out, like, didn't we already know this? Yeah, it's a little strange to be like, yo, uh, I got I got a whole bunch of this useless stuff at the castle I abandoned. I mean, yeah. that's a real, really common lie. Like, what, what, <laughs> what was... There's no incentive for Stannis to lie about that. Yeah, I don't know the value out there. But, um... I... I on that point, because um, that's all that really happened to Citadel, right? Yes. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to touch on was was from earlier with your with your idea about Sansa potentially killing Littlefinger. Yeah, how does this have to do with the Citadel? The drawing before Sam made his discovery looked remarkably like the Valyrian steel dagger that we know Littlefinger used earlier in the show to orchestrate and pin the blame on Tyrion for the the attempted assassination of Bran. Which triggered a series of events that let him trigger another series of events that led to Ned's assassination. Right. And so I'm wondering if somehow, perhaps, that dagger, since I'm not sure where it is at the moment, ends up in Sansa's hand by the end of this. Oh, and she kills Littlefinger with it? Yes. George R. R. Martin, in his own, like, evil and, like, twisted realism way does love poetic justice. Yeah. If you read some of his other short stories or some of his other books like Fever Dream, you'll you'll get that he likes poetic justice in like a really messed up, unsatisfying way. Mm-hmm. But uh so I do think Sans will kill Littlefinger. I'm not entirely sure we'll love the outcome of like the full like what that full course of action means, but um that's interesting. I I, I, I do think that Sans is gonna learn that Littlefinger orchestrated the killing of Ned and like Set, move move the pieces in place and then knock them over basically um yes it, it just there's just no way that doesn't matter yes i could see that for sure okay so in the riverlands Arya is on her way to king's landing as we find out later to kill the queen comes across ed sheeran and some lannister soldiers it was a fine scene everybody yeah calm the hell down like if you want to get mad and indignant about something 
just to go into politics for a second, Donald Trump gave an interview to the New York Times this week. <laughs> Read the thing. There's plenty in the world to get indignant about. We have a president that doesn't have any idea what he's talking about on any subject. Get mad about that. Like, who cares that Ed Sheeran or Shireen, however you pronounce it, I don't know the guy. Um, who cares that he's in Game of Thrones? It turns out that Maisie Williams, who plays Arya Stark, is a huge fan, and the producers did it as like a surprise to her. That yeah. sounds like a win-win for everybody. Pretty dope. I'm a fan of this. It was a fine scene. It was kind of cool because Arya came across Lannisters, and I know we all thought the same thing. Like, she's going to murder these people dead. And then they kind of told their stories and, like, weren't. And, you know, you kind of thought, oh, this is a bunch of guys coming across Arya. You know, they might get a little rapey. Yep. That's what I was That's what I was worried about, for sure. Yeah, but, like, that would have been bad for them. Um, but they ended up just having, like, a nice meal. And then Arya went on her way. It's like, that was a good scene in, like, Arya's character development, showing that, like, she is not a crazy assassin that doesn't... I agree. ...have no right from wrong. Get over the fact that Ed Sheeran was... Like, who cares? Yes. I felt I felt that it was, like, the... And it is Ed Sheeran, just so you know. Sure. Is it? Okay, yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. Uh, it is, I think... I think it was important to see that as a differentiating point from Cersei. She's not just going to randomly murder everyone who's wearing a color that's different than the one that she that she goes with. She has a bit more humanity left in her than that. And I think if that scene is in the book, it's a differentiation from her zombie mother in the book. Right. Who's yes. just on a vengeance spree and is killing everyone under Frey and Lannister banners. banners. Yes, absolutely. So I think that I think it was a great scene for her. I will say one thing, guys, and no one wants to hear this. Arya's not making it till the end, and I'm sorry to say it, but there's been way too many illusions of the lone wolf dies in winter, and unless she comes across Nymeria's wolf pack, I could see that saving her. Which, it does, there was there was a dire wolf shown in the next next episode preview. That is true. Um, so hopefully she comes across the wolf pack, and then maybe that isn't true, but as it stands right now... She's the lone wolf heading away from her family. Yeah, and I feel like if she if she does go to King's Landing, she could very well knock off a handful of targets on her list, but it's hard to imagine her coming out of there. Yeah, the, I've said this, I think I've said this in our preview uh, pod, that I thought there was a good chance that we're going to get a bunch of Arya kills this season. You know, mm-hmm. we already we just already had a bunch. Sure did. I think that, you know, she could knock off several other people on her list, but then... I could see it being the zombie mountain, Frank and Gregor. You know, she thinks she's going to knock him off the list, poisons him or stabs him in the back or something, and then he crushes her skull in. And, like, that's, like, near the end of this season. Like, we all it, need... It's hard to imagine her going right into the Viper's Vipers den and, uh, and getting out. We all need to prepare ourselves. Like, if Arya is on a just murder spree by episode five, like, we all need to get emotionally prepared for the fact that she'll probably die in episode seven. I agree, but fingers crossed that's not going to happen. I'm I'm cheering for Nymeria. I want a second dire wolf back. Yeah, in the I w- I would love if the dire wolf slash wolf pack thing comes to fruition, and then like Arya just roams the Riverlands murdering people with it. Much prefer that outcome. I agree. All right, so let's head over to the Vale, where uh, the Hound and his you know new brothers, uh, Beric Dondarrion and Thoris of Myr, come across a house which they Hound at least has visited before. He was there with Arya in, I believe, season three? Could have been season four when they were on the way to the Eyrie. I think that would have been four, but it was book three. Okay, thank you. And the the Hound stole the silver from the, the man and his daughter who were living there. 
um, essentially telling Arya that, you know, Silver's not going to feed him when, when they get that hungry. And true enough, they starve to death. Silver might have helped them buy some food. And yeah, it does seem like that's an easy, you know, use for it. That being said, though, we won't get as much of this in the show, but the sixth book is going to be really raw when they're talking about the Riverlands. There's going to be cannibalism. There's going to be people starving to death. The Riverlands doesn't have any food in winter's coming. Right. Yeah, they are in trouble. I, I'm not even sure the silver does anything. It maybe buys them like another day or two of food. Like I don't know. I don't know that there's anyone in the Riverlands you can buy food from because all the farms were set on fire. Gregor and his like roaming band. It, it sounds like they ransacked all the farms. They took all the meat from the larders. They. Yep. I, I think that the show will spare us from some of the grittiest details, but I. I think that in the book we're going to read it about cannibalism and we're going to read about people starving to death and the show might even go there too. Like the Riverlands is so very fucked. Yes. Yeah, it's in the worst shape out of any of the areas right now. Think about the worst famines in human history. That's what the Riverlands is about to go through. Right. They set up shop there in the house for the night. The hound gets a little fed up with the uh, the myst- mysteries that, that Thoros and Beric talk about which I enjoyed quite a bit, uh, you know, sort of a get-on-with-it message, and is asked to look into the fire. The Hound is clearly well on his way to becoming a Red Priest, as he virtually immediately gets a nice vision, and he sees an army of the undead. I would argue that if there is a R'hllor, the fire god, mm-hmm. it's not weird that the Hound saw something on his first attempt to view in the fire. I agree. You would want to show something that. It's part of the idea of the magic, again, being resurgent in the world. I, I think that the big thing there is just that the Hound is becoming enlightened and a new person, basically. Yes. Um, I could very easily see him basically being a religious warrior by the end of this whole thing. I could as well. So the question I have there is, do you think that the... He says that he sees an army of the undead marching towards the wall. Mm-hmm. And it's where the wall meets the sea, which of course makes me think... East Watch by the Sea, where Tormund yep. is bound. Yeah. Do you think that, that this means that the Hound and Beric and Thoros are now bound for East Watch? I don't. I Where do you think they might head? King's Land? Maybe they will go up there. I actually don't know. The message I got was that they were saying, like, now we need to turn our attention towards the greater enemy and head that direction, which would also help us with, you know, possibly running across Melisandre. No, that is true. I mean, it is... It's just uh, that's so contrary to the Brotherhood's like founding principles that big time. Yeah, uh, I honestly don't know what they're what they're going to do next, but it's clear that the Hound and the Brotherhood do have some role to play because they've been getting a lot of build up play over the last like five episodes, like the last four of the last season and this one. Yep, and the the Hound also says that he sees the army of the undead marching past a mountain shaped like an arrowhead. I haven't been able to figure out what mountain that might be. Is that the Fist of the First Men? You know, that that was the first thing that came to mind, but I can't remember if it's supposed to be shaped like an arrowhead at all. So I can't either. I'll have to try to figure that like, out. But it's like, I'm just thinking, it was like a flat plateau. Right. Some people feel that that was a mm, precursor to brother-on-brother brother, hound versus the mountain fight. I think that's a stretch. I do too. I do think they fight but I don't think that that prophecy has anything to do with it. I think it just has to do with, like... A mountain in the north. Yeah, they're moving past the first men or something like that. Right. So let's move on to Dragonstone, then. 
where the sh- the episode wraps up with Danny and company arriving at the abandoned castle of Dragonstone. Um, not not unusual that it would be abandoned. It doesn't really have anything valuable there unless there are White Walkers about and that Dragonglass becomes valuable. So it's not like Stannis would uh, you know be concerned about preserving it in in pristine condition for his possible return once he's done attacking from the north. Yeah, I mean, I get it, in a United Seven Kingdoms, it helps with like the naval defense of King's Landing, but other than that. Yes, it's interesting that you mentioned that, because Dragonstone commands a position that basically cuts off any sort of boat traffic uh, into or out of King's Landing. Yeah, and they ha- and there's a bunch of boats there and some dragons, right? Yeah, so yeah. Danny has a black dragon that we've seen very capable of setting ships on fire. She's also got a couple other dragons that did it pretty well, too. I would think uh, maybe go out for a little night flight and burn the entire Greyjoy fleet in the docks. If somehow the Greyjoy fleet is in the harbor of King's Landing and Euron, like, sneaks into Dragonstone with a ship and, like, takes... Te- like, I'll, I'll... I will fucking lose it. I'm going to be so mad because I know it's going to happen or they're going to make it, like, a, a well-matched fight and it's going to drive me insane. You're going to be like, no, they're in a bunch of wooden ships and she's got fire-breathing demons. Yes. There is no there is no reason that this should be an evenly matched fight. You know what's, like, hurting my brain? I didn't even think about that. Like, how did Euron's fleet get to King's Landing? Like, how would, they get, how would they get there? What would have happened is Danny would have seen, like, oh, that's a thousand ships in the distance. I have my own set of a thousand ships. What I'm going to do is they're going to launch kind of to keep range with a thousand ships and my dragons are going to set all of them on fire. Right, like, oh, look at that. That was easy. Yeah, now I have a few more ships. That aside, there is a Targaryen in Westeros once again. I'm surprised she landed on Dragonstone, though. I was I was surprised by that, too, just because it is literally right next to King's Landing. I mean, this is not a a slow roll towards the, I think uh, they're towards ex- the fight. I, th- I think they're accelerating some things because... Also, this is just Littlefinger and Varys would have never suggested this. They would have been like, "Go land in Dorne and marshal troops." Right. I do think that <laughs> let the let the Lannisters in King's Landing continue starving themselves. Yeah, but I, I think that they're just moving. Like we're clearly at end game point right now, and they're you know they're just getting everything where they're finalizing the pieces. Um, yes, I agree. Do you think we whether or not she sets the Greyjoy fleet on fire as she should that Danny is going to end up being disappointed with the ease of her conquest um, I don't think it, I mean I don't think it's going to be very hard uh, certainly I don't think it'll be that hard in the books the show might make it a lot harder I don't know if she'll be I don't think she'll be disappointed per se do you think she'll be disappointed uh, yeah I guess disappointed might be the wrong word I definitely think that she's anticipating a much more significant fight particularly even when you get outside of King's Landing where, I mean, the entire North is going to be like, yeah, okay, if you're going to help with these White Walkers and zombies, then yeah, it's cool. Question. Where's a big-ass Dothraki horde on Dragonstone? Uh, good question. That's uh, n- not sure at all. And what are the horses eating? <laughs> Boats, I imagine. <laughs> they got plenty of those. I mean, like, literally, Danny could land on King's Landing tomorrow, just melt the battlements as yep. happened in Harren Hall, and take the city in a day, based on what we know about dragons in the books. Right. It wouldn't even be close. And what we know about the Lannisters' forces, which are non-existent, especially yeah. after House Frey's dead. And and we have, we, have, we have read about 
humans being able to kill dragons. That happened during the time when dragons were pretty common. Yeah. Uh, they haven't really been building the sort of ballistas and other weapons you would need to take down dragons in flight these days. And no one is equipped to deal with them. It sounds like the most effective way to kill a dragon is like to drive a spear through its eye. Right. Which would be a ballista. Or like a crazy person that somehow gets on it. Like, no, there's no one. There's no one. Like, Danny... Based on everything we know, Danny could take King's Landing tomorrow. I don't think the show's going to do that. And they very well may make it a much more overmatched fight than they have, or a much more evenly matched fight than they have any right to do. I agree, unfortunately. All right. Well, let's go ahead and. Ooh, I actually forgot one thing. Uh, Jorah's in Westeros also. Hey, that was weird. His solution to finding the cure for great skill was. I guess that's where you'd go, but. I don't know. Yes, there is. That is one other thing that's interesting about the catch of Dragonglass, though, because there is some jumbled words. There are some jumbled words in the book that Sam is reading, discussing the Maesters attempting Dragonglass as a cure for Grayscale. Okay. It says that it didn't work very well, but at the same time, we know one person who has had Grayscale stop spreading, Shereen. and she lived on a place. Full of dragon glass. Yeah, that was right up until her father burned her to death, which made a whole bunch of sense. Yeah, smart. <laughs> but I, I think the one thing I'll say about that is I think that dragon. I, I think the grayscale has some role to play in this whole thing. I have absolutely no idea what it is. There are some rumors I've read that it uh, could potentially make you invulnerable to white walkering. Okay. Which would be an interesting role to play. I think that. I mean. That's not it, though. It turns you insane, too, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's lining up to touch Jorah anytime soon. But... Also, uh, you know, hands off, Jorah, all right? Yeah, don't shoot your arm through that. Speak with your mouth. Like, the book alludes to grayscale a lot, and, you know, some of the more primitive pe like, the more primitive but also, like, more sage-like people in the books view it as, like, a demon curse. Mm-hmm. And both the show and the books have gone to great pains to place someone in the south of Westeros. Different cities, but in the south of Westeros that has grayscale. Yes. Yes, very true. A character that, like, you know. The character yeah. doesn't exist in the show. He do I, he doesn't matter. Clearly, he doesn't matter. Thank you for book four and five, George R. R. Martin. <laughs> really appreciate that. All right, buddy. Well, I am excited for episode two, and I'm excited to uh, break it down with you next week. And until then... Uh, let's go ahead and sign off, and we'll we'll get caught up next week. All right, buddy, have a good one. Thanks, buddy, too.